Well, you've heard me say this many times, but it's always kind of a, a sad time when we get to the end of a series, and that's where we are today. We began a series a few weeks ago called Improving Your Serve, The Art of Unselfish Living, and, and we've been talking really about how is it that, that we can serve the Lord well. Um, one of the things that, that, that uh, I just this week over and over and over has been coming to mind is is that when, when I leave this earth and enter into eternity, I want to hear the Lord say to me, well done, my good and faithful servant. Uh, we, we know Billy Graham heard that this week. And, and I just think that more and more, I, I want to I serve him well. I want to serve him faithfully. Um, and so we've been talking about that, and, and we began by, by talking that that really, if we want to improve our serve, we have to be others-minded. The idea is this, that when it comes to serving, it's not the what, but it's the who, right? Uh, we, we, it, sometimes, you know, we, we kind of slip back into that two-year-old kind of mentality. Any, anybody do that? Anybody slip back into two-year-old? You get a little bit selfish? Yeah. Sharing? Uh, I'm all about sharing. Hey, you share with me. Um, I'm all about taking turns when it's my turn, you know. So, so we kind of get into that, and, and so we, we kind of think that, that we do that, and, and, and really when, we, when we're thinking of, of improving our serve, we have to be other, others-minded, and, and what messes us up in there is the who. So it's not the what, we can find something to do to serve, we just have to get the who right, that it's them and not me, that, that we're not here to get served, that we are here to serve. And we talked about three things. Uh, really, that helps us to do that, to, that we can remember. One, remember, you're not here for you. The second one is you don't belong to you. You're his if you're in Christ. And the third one is you don't serve you. You serve other people. And, and that's the way it is in the body of Christ. Secondly, we talked about not only do we need to be others-focused. I'm sorry, jumping ahead. Others-minded, we have to be ministry-focused. That, that as we go through this life that the Lord has left us here for, that, that we need to be focused on ministry. How, how do we do ministry? And we talked about that there are, are some benefits um, to, to that. And, and before we get there, I, I forgot. The other one is serving. So, so when we're talking about ministry focused, serving isn't about getting, it's about giving. So, so when we, we serve, we're not here to, to, to get. And, and that's something that, that's it's so easy, first of all, that goes along with our nature. But, but it also goes along with what we're hearing from the world, that, that, that we go there to get. And, and I know I, I haven't looked for a church to just attend uh, with my family for, for quite some time, but I do remember the experience. And, and it's, it's hard not to say, well, what programs do you have? And, and particularly with kids, I want something for my kids. Uh, I remember one time I was just doing some pulpit supply before we came here, and, and it was a church, and, and they asked us to, to come and and, and preach and just supplying. They're looking for a pastor, but I wasn't applying for that. I was just there to, to pulpit supply to fill. And, and they wanted me to come to Sunday school. And I thought, oh, it'd be a lot better for me if I was just able to look over my notes and prepare because I didn't know them, I hadn't met them. And so I wanted to, 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 to be able to connect with them quickly. And, and they, they insisted we go to Sunday school. Cynthia's looking at me because she remembers. Hope was around, she was two. And... And they didn't have anything for kids. Now, now Hillary, Hillary was 10, so they put her in there with the teenagers. 
and hope they put in there with us in the adult class. And, and went and found a, a box of toys that were, they probably would make you a fortune on eBay. They were, they were, and they were, what's collectibles? That's what they were. Um, they would all cut your fingers off, but, you know, they, they were collectibles. Um, I think they dusted them before they gave them to us. But I know that's hard. But we're, when we talk about being ministry focused, we have to remember it's not about getting, it's about giving. And, and, and you know, there are times that we have events, and, and, and I know because I, I fall in this too, and, and you say, well, that doesn't pertain to me, you know. But what if we shifted our way of thinking that I'm not there to get, I'm there to give, and then everything pertains to us, doesn't it? Some of you are going, no, because I'm going to end up watching the two-year-olds. <laughs> but, and we'll find you somewhere that, that, that you can serve without pulling your hair out, or them pulling your hair out, that's even better. So ministry focus is not what we can get, it's what we give. And, and we talked about really three things ministry does. First, it edifies, it builds us up. Second, it, it unifies, it brings us together. And then finally, it solidifies, it, it helps grow us up in Christ. It, it helps us to become mature in our faith. And, and I don't know about you, but I, I learn by doing most of the time. Uh, you can tell me about it, I can read about it, but it's when I actually get hands-on that that's, that's where I learn. And God uses ministry to grow us, to strengthen, strengthen us in our faith. And then last week we talked about being gospel-oriented. So not, not only others-minded, not only ministry-focused, but being gospel-oriented. There is a reason that we're doing this. It's not for high attendance Sunday or pack a pew. We don't have pews anymore, so... I'll have to find out a catchy way to do that with chairs. Um, that, 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 that you bring people, it's, that, that's not our reason. Although God is interested in numbers, but because of the souls that they represent. When we're talking about being gospel-oriented, what we're talking about is we have to begin with the end in mind. And, and really the goal is the gospel. So, so, so when we're doing these things, sometimes, I don't know if you're that way, when I'm, I'm doing something, I'm just in the daily grind, and, and it's not like a super exciting part, you know, and, and you're, you're just doing it, nobody sees, nobody says thank you, it's, it's like the trash dude, um, you know, he comes early in the morning on Mondays and Thursdays and empties, you know, the dumpsters, and, and we don't think about it until he doesn't, and, and then, and sometimes here, it, it doesn't quite make it till Monday, or it didn't quite make it till Thursday, uh, and, and it fills up, and, and so we don't think about it until it's not happening. Sometimes we're in the daily grind of ministry, and we, we feel that way. Here's what we need to remember, that the gospel is the goal. If your ministry is cutting the grass, the gospel is the goal. We, we, we want to, to have a facility that, that, that is, is such that people would want to come here, um, you go to a church and the grass is this high. We've never seen grass this high because, you know, one of the things I figured out here, they say that for snow, one inch is about 10 to 12, one inch of rain is about 10 to 12 inches of snow. Have you heard that? It's the same with weeds. One inch of rain is about 10 to 12 inches of a weed, and that happens overnight. So we never get that much. But when you see that, that looks like that, they don't, they don't really plan on people coming. So no matter what your ministry is, the gospel is the goal. 
whether it, it, it's picking up trash or, or cutting the grass or opening doors or turning the heaters on, whatever it is, whatever your ministry is, as behind the scenes as it may be, as tedious sometimes as it might get, remember the gospel is the goal. That's how we improve our serve, is by being gospel-oriented. Why are we doing what we do? And that makes a huge difference a lot of times in, in us serving. And then finally today, we're going to get to the last one, is if we want to improve our serve, then we have to be Christ-centered. Now, we live, New Mexico is actually a very spiritually open state. I don't know if you guys realize that. I haven't met too many people that won't talk with me about spiritual things. Now, they might want to talk about the trees, and, and you know, they might want to talk about, the, you know, if you're a Star Wars fan, the Force, you know, may the Force be with you. But, but they're spiritually open. We need to realize that that's not enough. That we need to take the next step. And, and so for us, if we want to improve the way we serve, we need to focus on Christ. More specifically, we need to focus on what he's done for us. That the reason we serve is because of what he's done for us. Now, now don't get me wrong. We're saved by grace, and that's all of God. Faith is the vehicle that he uses. We believe and we're saved. That's not a, a head thing that we believe it to be true. It's a heart thing. We trust it so. We're saved by grace through faith. But then the Apostle Paul says something interesting. Work out your faith with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And so the reason we serve is because of what Christ has done for us. And listen, we talked about that a little bit last week. But if we can really get a handle on what it is Jesus did on the cross for us. That we were forgiven a debt that could never be repaid. And why wouldn't we serve him gladly? Why wouldn't we remember, I'm not my own, I've been bought with a price. So turn with me, if you would, that was the introduction. Turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 2. And, and, and let, let's kind of get a little bit of a handle on what it is Jesus has done for us. We read the first part last week, but I want to pick up there and keep going. He says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in our passions and in our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God. Aren't you thankful for those phrases? He tells about the, 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 the hopeless state that we were in. But God took initiative. But God intervened. And he says here, But God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And raised us up with him, that is Christ, and seated us with him, that's Christ, in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. I want to talk about three things Christ has done for us to remember 
that, that should compel us to serve. Not to earn our salvation. By the way, I don't, I don't know, we, we don't talk about this enough, maybe particularly in Baptist churches, but salvation, that, that moment when you first came to faith in Christ, that was, that was just the beginning. You, you want to, here's a good word for you to carry through the week. That's called justification. That's where our, our, our sin debt with God was taken care of. We were justified. But you know, that's just a part of salvation. I'm not talking about a process. I just mean the whole of salvation includes that moment when we first came to faith in Christ. Then there's this other part that we, we deal with while we're left here on earth, while we wait for Jesus to return or we go meet him. And that's called sanctification. We are being sanctified. We are being purified. We're being made like Christ. You ever think about that? Here's the, the toy with the Happy Meal. If you could get your mind around that, that would change so many things in your lives. That, that we are being sanctified in Christ. Have you ever thought about this? Marriage wasn't designed to make you happy. What if, what if God's intention for marriage is to make you holy? <laughs> what if, what if parenting isn't to fulfill us, you know, that we fulfill our purpose in life by parenting and, and, and carrying on. What if parenting is meant to sanctify us? To help us to be more patient. To help us to be more kind and loving. Parents with teenagers are thankfully refraining from the big amen. What, what, if, what, if, what if God's intention for parenting is our sanctification. Here's another one. Now, now we know that we have to work by the sweat of our brow, is, is what, what it says in Genesis chapter 3, as a result of sin. But, but what, if, what if God intends for that work to be purifying in us, to, be, to, be, to make us holy, to be, help us be more like Christ? You, you see how just that one part, sanctification, if we get it in our mind, that, that while we are here, God is making us into the image of Jesus. That changes a whole lot. Lord, why am I having such a hard time? Any of you ever gone to the gym? Three people. Um, I'm just kidding. I know you don't always raise your hand when I ask. Have, have you ever gone to the gym and, and like it was really easy? No sweat. No, no, no burn. No soreness afterwards. If that's the case, then I'm telling you, the coffee place is not the reason to go to the gym. That's not, you're supposed to go there and work out. The gym isn't easy, but it's beneficial. When you work out, it's not easy, it's beneficial. When you're in sports, I used to love track and cross country, and, and, and especially if you can get like past the pain in cross country and then get into the zone. I used to love it because it, it was beneficial, but man, it wasn't easy getting to that place. What if this life wasn't meant to be easy, but what if this life was, was God wants to, to use all of the things to help make us holy into the image of Christ? He saved us. He saved us. And, and the first one is, He saved us from our sin. We talked about that a little last week. This is one of my favorite passages. You guys probably hear me say that a lot. I've got a lot of favorite passages. One of my favorite is Romans chapter 8. And it begins with this verse. 
There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. What is he talking about? He's talking about the condemnation for our sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. You you get what he's saying here? He saved us from our sin. And, And we talked about this a little bit last week, but he saved us from the power of sin. The power of sin is that sin brought, I'm sorry, the first one, He saved us from the penalty of sin, and the penalty of sin is death. You remember, God told Adam and Eve, you can eat from any of the tree in the garden, except from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day that you eat from that, you'll die. He saved us from the penalty of sin. But he's also saved us from the power of sin. Look what he says here. He says, for God has done what in the law weakened by flesh we could what the law weakened by flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous I missed it um, that we might be set free verse two I'm sorry for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death he saved us from the penalty but he saved us from the power. Of sin. When he says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Any of you ever feel like people judge you and they're condemning of you? You know, what one of the favorite things, especially among the young people now, is don't judge me. You know, they're drinking an eight liter Dr. Pepper or something. And you kind of, whoa, that's big. Don't judge me. You know, I hear that all the time. Don't judge me. That's not what he's talking about here. What he's talking about here is sin and the penalty of sin. There's no condemnation for sin for those who are in Christ because Jesus took it. He took it. He paid the penalty. And then he set us free from the power of sin. The second thing is he brought us back from death to life. Did you catch what he talked about in Ephesians? He, Paul echoes it in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, that's Jesus, having forgiven us of all of our trespasses. And then one of my favorite passages you've heard a lot. I love this. This is accounting language that he gets to. By canceling the record of death that stood against us with its High with its legal demands. What was the debt of sin that was against us? Is God said, in the day that you sin, you'll die. There was punishment. There was the wrath of God for our sin. And Jesus canceled that record of debt. Along with its legal demands. How? It says this, he set aside by nailing it on the cross. He who knew no sin became our sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. He saved us from our sin, but that's not all. He made us right with God. 
One of the effects of sin is separation from God. And, and we're born in sin. I mean, you know, it, it doesn't take long. We're born in sin and then we sin. I've heard someone say we sin because we're sinners and we're sinners because we sin. And it doesn't take long. You know, you, I, I believe that, that in, in God, in his forming us in the womb, that he gives us personality in the womb. And, and if you've ever, you don't have to be with a little baby for very long before you realize they've already got a little personality and some of them are already little stinkers. When my first little stinker was a baby, we were feeding her food. And Any of you, did you ever try the baby food? Yeah. That was the original gluten-free, salt-free, sugar-free, taste-free I mean, in some cases, you wished it was taste-free. The, the pureed turkey and dressing, I never could bring myself to try. But, but we're, we're feeding, this is Hillary, we're, we're, we're feeding her green peas. I didn't even have to feed her to know what we were on. You know, when you first start, you're supposed to do well, like one vegetable at a time as you go. I just changed your diaper. Oh, it must be carrots this week. We're feeding her these little green peas, you know, this little mashed up pureed stuff. And that little turkey, and she's like just months old. You poke that in, and she poke it right back out. And I'm thinking, you, you're too young to even know if you like that. How, how, can, how can a little two-month-old baby, or maybe not even that old, I forget when we started feeding them, it's been a long time, when we start feeding them those things, you, how do you know? You don't even have anything to compare it with. They tell you not to start with the fruits or they'll never eat the vegetables because the fruits are sweet. That apple Dutch treat, mm, that was good stuff. One bite for you, two bites for me. One bite for you. But, but God has, has he's just made us that way. And, and so we're separated. And, and so we have people that, that know there's something missing from a very, very young age. You know there's something missing. Blaise Pascal says, in every person there's a God-shaped vacuum that only he can fill. There's a hole created by sin that only God fills. We try a bunch of stuff, but only God can really fill that hole. He says in, in Romans chapter 3, verse 23 through 26, this is really neat language for what God did for us. The second part of verse 23, he, he begins, For there is no distinction. There's no distinction between you, 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 and me. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all have that sin problem. There's not a person alive that doesn't have that sin problem. And are justified. Don't you love it? By his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ. The only way to fix that is through Christ. Whom God put forward as a propitiation. I just like saying that word. Whom God put forward as a propitiation. An atonement. Here's the way I like to describe that. A full satisfaction. For our sin. It says, as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And he says, the reason is, this was to show 
God's righteousness. And here's something we, we kind of get have a little trouble with. God is God. He made the rules. He can do whatever he wants. And yet what we forget is God can't go against his character and his nature. And he's holy and he's righteous. And he's just. And where there's sin, there, there's a, a payment that's demanded for the sin. And if he were simply to excuse that, then he wouldn't be righteous. He wouldn't be holy and he wouldn't be just. God can't go against his character and nature. So it says that he did this to show his righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. One of the things that messes people up sometimes is you read in Genesis, God says, in the day that you eat of that, you'll die. There's, there's two parts of that. And they ate it and they didn't drop dead. He could have, he could have done it. They, they could have dropped dead right then. Do you know the fact that they didn't is a picture of God's grace for us? He passed over. He didn't, he didn't excuse it because sin demands punishment. But he made a way. And even on that side of the cross, God made a way through Christ. That, I can say that and understand it and I believe it, but I can't fully comprehend that. That somebody on that side of the cross, before Jesus came and died on the cross, that they still were saved through the blood of Jesus Christ by, by trusting in the provision God would give through his Messiah, his, his Savior, his Redeemer. And, and so, so for those on that side of the cross, he passed over. He made a way for them through Jesus on the cross for atonement. But still, there had to be payment for sin. And he says here, it was to show his righteousness at the present time. That is, at the point of the cross. So that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Get this. The very one who demands payment for sin. Became the payment for sin. Isn't that wild? I've said this to you before, but. I'll repeat it. I think when Satan tempted Eve persuaded her to sin. And Adam, who stood there with his finger in his ear, not doing a thing, followed suit. I think Satan thought, I've got him. I've got him. God loves these, these humans with this amazing love, but now God's got a problem. He has to punish for sin, and he has to punish these that he loves. You know that Jesus on the cross has always been God's plan. God doesn't have plan A and plan B. He has a plan. And the very one who demands payment for sin is the one who became payment for our sin. So why do we serve? We serve because of what Jesus has done on the cross for us. Not to earn it, you'll never earn it. Thankfully, we don't have to. Not to make ourselves better in this life. We can't do that either. Salvation begins with, with sanctif I'm sorry, justice 
I can't even get there. Justification, thanks. My tongue's about to run out of, out of juice here. We're, we begin by justification. But salvation includes sanctification, and it's all by grace. It's all a gift. You can't make yourself better. And for those who've been taught you pull yourself up by your bootstraps, that's not heartening news. That's pretty disheartening. But let me give you the good news. The good news is you don't have to. Jesus will do it for you. The Holy Spirit works in our heart. He uses his word. He works in our heart and he changes us. He makes us like him. So we don't serve to get even salvation. We serve to give thanks to God for what he's done. And the cool thing is that God has asked us to be partners in the gospel. And God will even use us to bring others to faith in Christ. I don't believe that there's going to be, that there's a little score thing in heaven. Oh, Larry got five. You know, so Billy Graham got like 100,000. You know. It's not like that at all. We just do it because of what he's done for us. And really, if you think back to what we talked about last week, the great debt that we owed... Why wouldn't we? Is anything too big to give up? Is, is there anything God calls us to do that's too much? Is there anything he calls us to give up that, that, that's more than we should give up? Not in light of what Christ has done for us. So why do we serve? Because of what Christ has done. Let's pray. Lord, I, I ask that you would speak to our hearts through your spirit. And, and spirit, I just ask that, that you'd work as only you can do. And, and I pray that, that, that right now, uh, Father, you would just, just, just bind any efforts of the enemy. Uh, we're not talking about guilt, that, that we feel guilty because of what Jesus did, and now we have to try to make that up. It's none of that at all. But Holy Spirit, if you need to, I pray that you would convict us. Turn us back to you. And help us to remember it's not about us. We have to be others-minded. It's not about what we want to do. We have to be ministry-focused. It's not about our agenda. It's we're to be gospel-oriented. And it really has nothing to do with earning anything. We're to be Christ-centered. That we focus on what he did for us on the cross. He did it. It's done. And we can have a right relationship with you. You fill the hole that should have never been there, but it is because of sin. That only you can fill. That we can walk righteously before you. Because of what Jesus did. Father, if there's anybody here today who's never come to faith in Christ, Holy Spirit, draw them to you. Open their eyes, convict them of their sin, help them to see maybe for the first time their need for sin and then the provision for their sin that you've given through Jesus on the cross. Pray that, Lord, there's someone who doesn't know Christ in a personal way today. Today would be the day that they would come to faith in Christ. God, for those of us who did that years ago, 
some of us decades ago. I pray that you'd just bring us back to, Lord, where we started with you. The the amazing wonder that the God of all creation would not only take notice of me, but he loves me. And that, Lord, you provided a way for me to have a relationship with you through Jesus Christ. And that, God, you would renew within us that, that passion, that first love that we had. God, we'd realize there's nothing too big to give up. There's nothing, no task that, 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 that's too overwhelming. You've not called us to do it in our own strength anyways, but through the power of the Spirit. But God, we, that we through thankfulness and gratitude to you that we serve in amazing ways because it's all about you. And I pray, Lord, that you would just uh, help us to give up what we need to give up, help us to, to pick up what we need to pick up. God, I pray that you would improve the way that we serve. The desire of our heart is that someday when we get to see you face to face, we'll hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. For it's in Jesus' name we pray.